Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. Our first sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio, one of our sponsors, Social Ventures. They offer resources, programs, and accelerators in social enterprise, and they act as a primary network for social enterprise activity in central Ohio. You can learn more at socialventurescbus.com. That's socialventurescbus.com. And our next sponsor is FMX. FMX is a computerized maintenance management system that helps organizations accelerate their operational success. And FMX enables you to streamline processes, increase asset productivity, and turn actionable insights into meaningful results. If you'd like to learn more, check them out at their website, gofmx.com. That's G-O-F-M-X.com. And our last sponsor is the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is a local nonprofit that's committed to helping their partners build upon their strengths. They turn visions of what if into sustainable resources for the community. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Mike here. We've got Josh and Tim as well joining us. That means this is Conquering Columbus. And uh, today, you know, want to take a moment, though, to talk to you guys. For those of you who don't know, we've had uh, Tim on the show a couple times so far, and I'm sure people are starting to wonder, hey, what the heck is going on? So, uh, Tim, you want to you want to fill them in? Yeah, I just kind of showed up, I guess, didn't I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, we've been we've been kind of working together a little bit, and I've, we've, I guess we found the best situation for all of us to kind of team up rather than sending people to two different locations. So I'm excited. Let you guys handle some of the stuff I'm bad at, and uh, I can just focus on what I'm good at. Yeah, and I'm excited. You know, Tim brings a lot of personality to the show, and it, it brings a different mindset from Josh and I, and I think it creates a lot of uh, a lot of good change in the show. I mean, what I, trying I, to say is Tim's dumb. It's not at all <laughs> no, what I'm kidding. trying to say. I'm saying Tim's creative, and he's got a lot of like he just brings a breath of fresh air to the show that I'm really enjoying so far. So I'm excited to see where this partnership goes, and I'm excited to have Tim joining us. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that sense of off-the-cuffness questions. You know, I mean, that, that's a term that, that we tried to coin in the beginning, but it just came so natural because it really is off the off the cuff. You know, it's like we had too much formality to our questions, and all of a sudden Tim comes out of left field. He's like, you said you said you played baseball. I was like, I love, <laughs> I love baseball. <laughs> Tim's, the, Tim's the wild card, man. Yeah. He comes in, he's For like, sure. here it is. I'm just going to ask whatever's on my mind. Josh and I, like, we got this outline, and mm-hmm. it's really specific, and Tim's like, no, 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 screw that. Yeah, I like to follow a conversation or kind of – if you, I mean, obviously I like structure, but when you go into something and you find 
oh, let's take that path. And they, and, and when you're, when you do an interview well, or someone's comfortable, that's when you can really get into, you know, rather than just the, where'd you grow up, what you need to do. And that's when you get into the fun stuff. And so, yeah, you guys, you guys have those interviews or those outlines. I just don't read them at all. And I feel like we meet somewhere in the middle and the episodes tend to be pretty entertaining. Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you want to learn about their life, but you want to also learn about them as a person. And our, I think our questions can cover their life. But then mm-hmm. when you start diving into these uh, rabbit holes, for lack of a better word, you start learning about them as a person. I think that's where you get you get some real value out of it. I mean, like, it's cool to know, you know, the leaders across the city's life story, but you can kind of find part of it on LinkedIn. You know, you can't yeah. find their personality on LinkedIn. When I listen to bigger podcasts or, you know, popular, like, celebrities, like, I know their body of work. I want to hear about, and that's, I mean, that's selfish of me, but I, I like that in every conversation. I want to know the stuff that you don't talk about in all the other interviews. And if you can pull that out, that's, that's fun. Yeah. And so speaking of interviews today, you guys are going to be listening to an interview with Brian Schottenstein. I think we all had a lot of fun talking with Brian and uh, he's kind of got a unique perspective, right? He comes, I mean, obviously Schottenstein family, everybody in Ohio knows who they mm-hmm. are. And uh, Brian is currently the president over at uh, Schottenstein Real Estate. And listening to Brian's story, you know, he, he's a really good guy and he's working really hard over there. And, and that you know, they're obviously have a great strategy that they're employing. But, uh, you know, I think that everybody's going to enjoy this interview. Tim brings the wild card as always. I don't remember what we talked about. Well, we, <laughs> we're going to listen to it again. Sure it was great. Yeah, it was good. I think I remember it being good. <laughs> yeah, we co- we cover some of Brian's story, but then we, then we do. I mean, this is literally the epitome of the, the structure we just described. I mean, we cover some of his story and, and where did he transition in school and job to job and why is he back in Ohio? Because he went out to California for a little bit. Uh, spoiler alert there. And then diving into actually, you know, what why why did he drive that way and, and what, are, what are his motivations? Who is he as a person? So, Yeah, I think uh, overall it's going to be a great episode. Of course, we always say, hey, hope you guys enjoy listening to it. But uh, thanks so much for listening and we'll be right back. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. And today on the show, we have Brian Schottenstein joining us. And Brian graduated from the University of Miami, Florida in 2009 with a BBA in entrepreneurship and was one of the founding members of the university's Entrepreneurs Club. Brian was recently named one of the Smart 50 Executives by Smart Business Magazine and is currently a columnist for that magazine. He was also recently selected as a Future 50 Leader by Columbus CEO Magazine, and Brian now oversees Schottenstein Real Estate Group as president of the company. He's on the board of several organizations, including the president of the Columbus Apartment Association, Jewish Columbus board member, and on the cabinet, and a Lifetown board member, and the Ohio State University Hillel Treasurer. We're very excited to have Brian on today to talk more about Schottenstein Real Estate as they have over 1,300 units in construction in central Ohio. And we're also looking forward to discussing the real estate market in general, his outlook on Columbus. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And, you know, typically one of the first places we always like to start here on the show is just get a little more background on yourself, everything leading up today, any highlights along your life and what brought you here? Well, I uh, graduated uh, from Bexley High School um, in 2005 and Funny, I was actually supposed to go to Tulane University, but it was the year that Hurricane Katrina hit. So I went to Ohio State for a quarter in between there. Um, and then I decided to go to University of Miami, Florida, a second semester freshman year, which was interesting because everybody was already kind of there and made, made their friends and whatnot. And I decided to join a fraternity. I really loved University of Miami, Florida. It was a great school. So after I graduated from there, I decided I wanted to live out on the West Coast. I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I was working for a film production company at the time, a person that I knew um, from Bexley who had a 
production company. I was just kind of doing it till I decided what I wanted to do. I was interviewing with some sports agencies. Um, I thought I wanted to be an agent. And at the time it was 2009. So the market was really bad. No one was hiring. Uh, so I decided to go work for a real estate brokerage. It was a commission only job. It was retail. I learned a lot about uh, sales and about just the real estate industry in general. But um, I figured that, you know, it's best if, if I go back uh, to Columbus and build our own company, which was called uh, Schottenstein Real Estate Group. And we've been in business for over 45 years, kind of just fell into it. I never like planned on working for a company from the beginning, but um, I just did a lot of thinking and thought like, why work somewhere else when I could build our own company? So I decided to move back. Um, I was in LA for like a year and a half to two years. And um, I moved back and got thrown right into the business and learned a lot from the ground up. And um, I'm still here, you know, 10 years later. And I love Columbus and love working for our company. You miss that Ohio weather, huh? Yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> the great, the great winters here. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I grew up in San Diego. I get you know yeah. the question all the time, like, why'd you come back here? One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, hey, did you always envision yourself joining the family business and get involved with Schottenstein, or did you have other aspirations, other thoughts on your career? I mean, when you were kind of going around looking at other things, what was your thought process like? You said you kind of fell into it, but you know, were you actively like against going back into the family business at first, or did it kind of like was it always on the back of your mind? Well, I always wanted to um, live on my own in another city. Like I was in Miami on my own, but that was during college. So I wanted to try the West Coast, just another area and, and just be out there. I really didn't know anybody there. So it was a good experience being on my own, working for another company and having an, another boss other than my father. So um, I thought it was important to work for another company for sure. And I, you know, if it was great and I loved it and, and everything was going well, I probably would have stayed out there. But um, it gave me a, a, a chance to really, you know, think about what I want to do long term. And when I and when I wasn't really interested in the sales side as much, I had more passion, like creating things from the, from scratch and actually developing real estate. I figured if I'm going to develop anywhere, it might as well be for our own family, and our own company. And that's when I decided to move back. And it just kind of worked out that way. But I, I wasn't involved much with our company, like growing up. My dad really did a good job trying to keep business separate from the family. Like he didn't come home and talk a lot about what was going on. I mean, I, I knew what we did and everything, but definitely um, wasn't involved growing up at all with our company. So talk about working in real estate in 09 after that crash compared to, you know, what things look like present day. Are there similarities or is it is it polarizingly different? Well, I think it's uh, it's pretty similar. The only difference is like the market was doing so well both in like, you know, the mid 2000s and just the beginning of this year. And the reason the markets have crashed um, are different. Uh, the fact that they're, you know, what happened in the mid 2000s and compared to now is like, um, it's a little bit less out of our control now. You know, we have this like crazy uh, coronavirus and it's not like, you know, the economy was, wasn't doing bad or, you know, everybody that lost their jobs now, like are for a reason out of their control. And which is similar to 2009. But I think the difference now is that we will bounce back quicker because I think that as soon as this virus is behind us, I think the market is still there waiting for people to come back. There's so much pent up demand for people to be hired and, and get the market up and running. 
we're still doing fairly well as far as rentals. I think people still need a place to live. So I think we're in a good sector. I know home buying dropped about 45% last month. And I've heard from home builders in the area that they had a decent uh, beginning of this month. Uh, so I think things are turning around a little bit here. I don't think we'll see, like we'll see like we did in the mid 2000s where you had like five, six years of, of poor sales. I think it'll just be a short period of time. So going back a little bit to Miami, you said you were looking at being an agent potentially. Yeah. Uh, were you were you a big football fan while you were there? I mean, it's a huge football school, obviously. Yeah, I was, but I happened to be an Ohio State football fan more than <laughs> the Hurricanes because just growing up a Buckeye. Um, it was hard to just all of a sudden convert over to the Hurricanes and they weren't too good. Yeah, I was, was going to say, those are a couple of rough years where yeah. they, were, they didn't have one. They really I mean, haven't been great since the since we beat them in the national championship. Mm-hmm. But I always loved sports and I just, uh, you know, liked hanging out with athletes and stuff and different celebrities. And I thought it would be cool, you know, to be a sports agent, watching all the, like the entourage shows and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. But it wasn't really a reality. And the funny thing is when I moved back to Columbus, CA actually called me and they said they had a job for me, but I was already back here and really, and, um, decided just to stay. What's so. the, what's the entry into that world? Like, is it similar to something like acting where you yeah. got to know somebody or you got to get auditions? Cause it's not like a, you just apply, you know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely who, you know, for mm-hmm. sure. And I had some people reaching out to CAA, but, uh, when you start there, you know, you're in the mail room and it's just like, it, just like they say it is. And mm-hmm. it's not easy. It takes time working and, for Ari gold. Yeah. And it takes time to get clients and build yourself up. And I, I just thought it was really not who I am as a person. And I didn't think I'd be happy as an agent when it came down to it. It's more of just like a, you know, Hollywood thing that you see, but not really something that it's going to work out in yeah. real life. So it's not like ballers. Anybody seen ballers? Yeah. I yeah. love that show. <laughs> Yeah. And that show's great, but it definitely made me, I was like, man, it'd be so cool to be an agent, but I got a feeling it's nothing like this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Sure. you could see, you could see the big, uh, the big commissions, but it, that's just like when you watch those real estate shows where they're selling, you know, $30 million houses, you, you don't just like walk into the big time real estate. You know, there's like a couple of real estate agents right. that are clearing those huge commissions. You don't just walk in and rep Zion day one. You right, know? right. You, there's a lot of, like you said, mailroom work. Yeah. It'd be a cool, like, to get in the back door. I mean, have you watched The Last Dance that's been on with Michael yeah, Jordan? Yeah, that's great. Like, his his original agent and those, you know, doing those deals back in the day and hearing about when he didn't want to go meet with Nike. Yeah. You know, like, that. The, his Jeez. his mom, his agent called his mom and said, just take the meeting. Yeah, and, and only it became like 200000 or something originally. Yeah, which was huge back then. That yeah. was, they were paying, nobody paid rookies that kind of money. And now it's billions, literally billions. Yeah. So that one meeting, you know, right. so that agent was a huge catalyst in this multi-billion sure. dollar thing. So for every one of those, there's probably a hundred thousand agents that never got any right. deals done and worked for, you know, months on months without any money. So we were talking about Miami though. And one of the things that you did while you were at Miami, you started the entrepreneurs club there. What made you want to, I guess, engage in that? Like what made you want to start that club? Was it a lack of community? Right. Yeah. We're looking for community. Thank you. You know, was it just something inside of you like, Hey, I got to do something. Well, I got close with uh, this professor who was an entrepreneur class and we were just kind of brainstorming one day. We're like, you know, school's great and everything and you learn a lot, but you really don't learn so much until you actually do. Yeah. Like you can't just read a textbook about like real estate development and, yeah. and understand what to do. You have to actually be in a situation. So we were like, you know, there's got to be a great way where we could have a center and we call it the launch pad 
where we could have other students and professors and there was like an advisory board of business leaders in the community help students if they had an idea for a business to get to get started and like help them out with a business plan and really get it um, off the ground. So we had the center and it's still there today. I was actually down there last semester to see the school and one of my nephews was looking at going there and it was kind of cool to see like this is something that the one professor and I started and still there and it's bigger now. Like they even have like people in the community funding the businesses and like, it's actually like a real incubator That's awesome. um, for business businesses started by university of Miami students. So how have you taken that entrepreneurship mindset and like what you started there and what you've learned through entrepreneurship and related it to a business that's been around for 40 some years? Is there still a lot of aspects in entrepreneurship and what you're doing on a regular basis? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like when I first started with our company, um, you know, I, I I'm going to go a little bit off topic here and then come back, but I, I kind of always like not really worried, but just had a, a little bit of chip on my shoulder because I knew I was like the son of the CEO and, and with our last name and everything, I wanted to, I wanted to use it though as motivation to work even harder and longer. And I didn't want to just be there because of my last name. I actually wanted to deserve it. So when I first started, I worked uh, in leasing and construction for some time. And then I moved into doing some marketing finance and about year eight into it, I, I became president and I felt like I did a lot to, to get to that point. And um, I didn't really want to change a lot with our, our company because I thought we already had a lot of great core goals and we were very entrepreneurial in the way we we conducted business. I did change some things just to kind of keep up with the times, like just to have more flexibility with like our leasing when it comes to like online applications and like month-to-month -month leases and just a little bit more of a casual feel. But some of the stuff that we've been doing for over 40 years when it comes to like leasing philosophies and sales are still intact now. So I didn't want to like rock the boat but, uh, you know, being only 33 and the president of a company, you know, I think it's important that everyone understands what our goals are and everybody like can work their own way. I don't go down and like micromanage everybody and tell them they have to work a certain way. Everybody has different ways of doing things. But as long as we have our one goal um, and we know what we're working for, then I think we'll be successful. I know like, you know, Urban Meyer talks about having like different units and everybody having the same goals, but he splits everybody up into units and each coach leads that unit. We kind of do the same philosophy at our company and that's kind of an entrepreneurial mindset that, that we kind of have. So how many people do you have at Shot and Scene Real Estate? So we have about 50 employees, but we subcontract out all of our construction. So we are the general contractor, but then we have subcontractors do all the construction. So if you count on them, we'd have hundreds, but just actual uh, employees, we have about 50 at Johnson Real Estate Group. And then stepping into that role, so you'd already been there for eight years, but stepping into that role as president, you know, taking on the full leadership of those 50 people, what were the biggest challenges for you early on? I think like originally just gaining respect. I mean, we've had employees that have been there for 20, 30 years that are, you know, 60 years old. And all of a sudden I come in and, you know, I'm, and I'm taking over as president, just like gaining their respect. And I think like, um, over time, like the more wins that we had when it came when it came to getting um, developments approved and um, and developments sold, we've done a lot of you know tough deals in areas like Delaware County, Liberty Township, Orange Township, 
Jerome Township, areas where it's really hard to get apartment approvals. So I think just getting through the process and them seeing like me just working hard and very passionate about what we do, I think I was able to gain respect over time. And have you guys focused mostly on residential over the past few years or is it a mix of residential commercial? Uh, Mainly residential, mainly multifamily. We did do a lot of condominiums in the mid 2000s and we've done some mixed use developments with like some small retail like Starbucks and uh, Panera, Aldi drugstore, um, Gordon Foods, like just as, but a part of the development overall, like we don't really focus on retail unless it's something that's part of the community. Okay. And so with, with family apartments and stuff, we've seen a lot of those go up around Columbus, but we're also seeing a lot of population growth. Like, do you expect that to continue going forward or, you know, what are are you seeing on the horizon for that? Yeah. Well, I think we've been seeing about 40,000 people a year moving to Columbus and a lot of the people that move here are renters. You have people that are maybe just new to the area and they want to see uh, where they want to end up. And being a renter is um, something that's great because you're not locked into a home for a long amount of time. So you have the flexibility. We're seeing young professionals rent. We're also seeing empty nesters that are renting because they don't want to own a home anymore. They might want to be south part of the year uh, and they don't want the maintenance of a home. And another thing that we've done really well, because there are so many communities that are being built is um, our amenities are second to none. Uh, We now have communities with large 10,000 square foot clubhouses where we have cafes, we have yoga rooms, gyms. Outside, we have pickleball courts, bocce ball gardens, lap pools, pools. And we really try to create like a community where you have everything there, including a gym and free wireless internet throughout. And so like, you don't have to really leave. You don't have to have a gym membership. And we've been lucky enough where even during this coronavirus time, like our gyms are still allowed to stay open because it's considered like part of your home. It's a private facility. It's not like a public commercial gym. And we're still like doing our, our distancing and cleaning and everything and making sure it's safe. But the residents are so happy that like they have the ability to, to go to the gyms. That's interesting. I have a bunch of friends that live in apartments that they uh, close the gyms, even in their like private yeah. gym. So that's, I'm jealous of that. Yeah, I we, yeah <laughs> we were, I, we even actually got a call from a, like a Delaware County health official. And I talked to him and we read through the, we read through the order and he agreed that we were allowed to keep them open. So that, that was great. I'm jealous. My condo building does not have uh, yeah. any amenities. <laughs> so I have, I have a gym set up in my living room right now and I'm just thankful that the space below me is empty yeah. or I'd be ruining their lives. Well, it's funny to me, it kind of reminds me condo communities and apartment communities are kind of trending towards like little mini country clubs almost right. nowadays where you've got like all the amenities of your typical country club minus the golf course. Right. But exactly. you're getting it at a much cheaper price than you would if you were actually belonging to a country club. Yeah. Have you seen that, uh, Swimming pool out over High Street? No. There's like a, a glass that they've built, like the glass part. It's over. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I know the one you're talking about. Like, le- like it actually leans out over yeah, it. It's kind of got yeah. like the, the disappearing. It's a, what do you call that? Infinity, Infinity pool Infinity kind of. Infinity pool yeah. out over, yeah. Floating over. Yeah. I've got a question. Um, you said you took an entrepreneurship class at college. So I'm super curious. I didn't, I didn't go to school. Uh, I did work with a girl who said she had a degree in entrepreneurship, which I didn't believe was a real thing. Yeah. How, how was that class as someone who's, you know, been in, been in both sides, I guess, is owning and then working for someone else. When I think of entrepreneur class, I'm like, how does someone teach you to, right. to be an entrepreneur? I feel like that's like an oxymoron almost. Like I went to college to yeah. learn how to not go to college. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like the way my brain thinks. What was your experience there? And like, did you, did you enjoy that? Did you feel it was helpful or? That, yeah, that was actually my major too. It, it was really, it was really great. But again, like you're never going to get all the life experiences. Yeah. 
you know, in school and uh, they try to make it as real life as possible. They had like simulations where like you owned your own business and you had okay. to like, you know, manage like, you know, ordering and uh, all the finances and like you had like your own little business. And then end of the semester had to come up with a business plan and create a business and do an elevator pitch and try to, and whoever got the investors to invest in it, like the fake investors or whatever, they, they won the, the prize for the best business of, That's the, cool. of the year. So they, that sounds kind of fun. They had a lot of speakers coming in like every, every month talking about their companies. So it was really nice because it wasn't like you were stuck in a classroom all the time, but it still okay. wasn't the same as, as being a part of a company in a startup. Yeah. But I mean, learning from someone who's done it is like one of the fastest ways to not make mistakes. So that sounds like they were exactly. kind of cultivating that environment, which is awesome. The majority of your guys' communities that you're working on right now are any in like the heart of Columbus, downtown, short north areas? So uh, that's a good question. Most of our communities are in the suburbs. We we haven't really focused much on downtown just because there's been a ton of units and we like to kind of be in areas that have less competition that are still real high end and tough to get approvals in. So we've been focusing in areas um, that aren't in downtown. But um, uh, if you also look at the general Columbus um, development, uh, the construction that has occurred, like we're still way under like Nashville and Austin and other cities that have this similar population growth, but our units, um, that are being constructed are a lot less. So I think there is still room for more construction, especially multifamily. Hey there, Conquerors. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org kind of dovetailing off Mike's question, you mentioned 40,000 people a year moving here. And it seems like we're developing like crazy everywhere you look and a lot of concerns about are we overdeveloping, but it sounds like from your opinion, not even close. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think we're at like three to 4,000 units a, a year in Columbus. And I think like Nashville and other areas are like eight to 10,000. So I think there's more room for growth. Um, I think the retail and office industry is going to change a ton because of coronavirus. So, you know, like there's certain, you know, stores and restaurants and places that probably won't make it, unfortunately. And in the office environment, like, you know, the open offices were such a fad for so long. Like now people are going to want to have like their individual office to work in. Just it's going to change. People are going to work from home. You see a lot of the big companies announcing their employees are going to work at home through the rest of the year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think with multifamily, especially in the suburbs, like we don't have any elevator buildings or uh, everybody has their own private entrance, so they still have a feeling of like living in a home with an attached garage. And so I think we're going to be fine. Out of curiosity, just because this is something I was just reading about in the Wall Street Journal the other day, they were talking about, I think they, it was a pretty drastic article talking about how commercial real estate is completely going to fall out from underneath itself. But that being said, when you look at it, you mentioned two things that could contribute either direction, right? Well, everyone's going to want their own office. They're going to want more space. Right. But you're also going to have situations where people are going to be not working from the office anymore. So do you see it being more space requirement or less space requirement as we move forward? I don't think there'll be as much space requirement for sure, because uh, people are can work more remotely. 
Um, I think offices are just being are more efficient than they ever were before. And it just makes sense not to have as much space as before. I think a lot of businesses are realizing many of their employees can work not in the office. Yeah. Um, I think there's some jobs that obviously you can't do remotely. Like I don't want a remote surgery or things like that, you <laughs> know, but I think there's a lot of people who don't necessarily need that commute. And I think that like, this has been a terrible thing for most people, but the planet has got a lot of, you know, with people not driving and smog and things like that. And I think we could learn a lot from inefficiencies, right? No, I agree. And, and being somebody who's recently joined a company who's worked by myself for 10 years, I really wanted that team mentality, the camaraderie working together and the stuff that I do requires me communicating with people. But when I wasn't, I was able to do my job remotely, which saved driving and office overhead. You know, I've worked with startups before that basically failed because they wanted to, not failed, but they had to restructure because of where they were located. You know, you can't yeah. be in downtown you know, you can't be in Manhattan and Soho and have an office and also cut costs or, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think that will be a big learning thing. Yeah. I think people were, were like, you know, the, the bubble, the dot-com bubble. I just watched, I just finished Valley of the Boom on Nat Geo about that whole bubble and how it exploded with the stocks and IPOs. People were just throwing money around. I think startups were starting to get funded at a rate that they were like, oh yeah, we need to have the best office and the most ping pong tables right. and the most snacks. And they were now realizing like, oh, it was kind of getting out of hand. Yeah. So this kind of like re like reeled that back in a little bit. It's an interesting concept. I mean, it's it's hard, I think, even with Zoom meetings and, and Google Hangouts and however you're going to bring people together. I feel like especially the old school business owners, they want to have their finger on the pulse and they want to have everybody mm -hmm. in the room at least a couple of times. So Absolutely. the ability to not have a space entirely and to not bring those people together, I think it's just going to be such a hard hurdle. For oh, for sure. I mean, and as a business leader and owner, how do you look at that? Like, do you enjoy being able to bring your people together? Do you think that if you guys had to go remote, obviously the construction is not going to change, but the people who are working in the office, would that be hard for you to overcome? Well, we did it for um, a period of time. We were still considered an essential business, but we still just out of the safety of employees, we did work from home. And it was interesting to see like people did get a lot done, but it is nice to meet face to face. You know, we had a hearing in Dublin over Zoom and it just, it didn't feel the same. I mean, like they couldn't see our reactions. We weren't in the room to present. I really didn't like it. I think some things can be done remotely, but there's still a lot that, that is good face-to-face -face and for team building and really to meet with someone means a lot more than just to pick up a phone or go yeah, on absolutely. Zoom, I think. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens though. I, I, I like what you said about, we're going to learn a lot from this. I mean, people are, are able to be a lot more frugal than they were before because of this. People are, you know, able to be more flexible and understanding, caring. I think families have gotten a lot closer. I actually wrote an article in the Smart Business Magazine about Amazon taking over the world. And this was like a year ago or so before this all happened. And they, they were then too. But yeah. a lot of the brick and mortar st stores that you don't actually need to go to anymore, like, that provide something you can buy online, it's going to be tough for those to survive for sure. Yeah. I'm definitely in the camp of wanting to not work remotely after doing it for so long, but I think there is a level of balance there that, that that's going to come from it. The, tr the trick is what you just mentioned, that art of communication, how different it is between like yeah. the phone call, phone call yeah. and video at the same time and in person. There's just all three oh, yeah. of those different mediums, the way that you express emotion, intake emotion, it's totally different, different right. uh, ideas. Yeah, yeah, like I tell all of our leasing managers, like, do not try to lease over the phone. Like, you cannot tell what a community looks like or, 
You can't tell what anything looks like until you actually go and see it. So make sure you get them to come tour the community and like anything you can be, that can be done in person is great. Although we've done some virtual tours recently, Mm -hmm. but I I don't like to do that. I did like the virtual tour. I did that and it was, I enjoyed it a lot. So I will say, I mean, it's probably not good from the opposite end. I didn't lease with the place, so I will say that. But I enjoyed it as a consumer, if that's the right terminology. That's because yeah. you just don't like to go anywhere. You'd rather <laughs> and it was just it was and- just so much like everything was better because I I didn't have to move. I could do back to back to back like seven in a row, and then it was like three hours later. I knew benchmarked exactly where I want to be. Now, from a sales standpoint, obviously, like. I wouldn't want somebody to look at me and six of my competitors at the same time, back to back to back. But so, how did right. you make your decision? Uh, I stayed at my complex I'm already in because I didn't feel like moving very far. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So I made my decision but, based on pure. But if you'd gone to one of them, maybe you would have switched. Right. They um, could have. Yeah, it could have happened. I agree. What I'll be interested to see is so we talked about you know the shift to working remote, and we talked about the burst of the bubble in you know Manhattan, and you talk about San Francisco. I think the next bubble that's going to burst is the residential real estate in San Francisco, Manhattan. These places is just continued to climb and climb and climb and climb. But now that people are realizing, hey, we can work remotely, those companies might not have to have their people there. So I think the trend of people coming to places like Columbus, like Nashville, like those other cities is going to continue. And it's going to, it's actually going to accelerate because of this. It's going to follow the VCs. Everybody thought for a while you had to go to mm-hmm. Silicon Valley to have a startup, right? Or you had to go to New York or wherever. And then once the money moved out and found the people, you know, the internet obviously connected us, but there was still like that kind of old head that was like, no, you have to come to me to get the money. People found like Columbus. Columbus is still kind of under the radar mm-hmm. a bit, but it's not as slept on as, as it's been for a long time. And I think when you see those those people, the, the big money is going out where you couldn't get funded here even 10 years ago. I remember trying to raise money for products and seven figures was insane. And now there's companies all day long that are moving. And I think that's what's going to happen. Like you're talking about that, that market's going to have to follow those guys that control the money, similar to what Amazon is doing to a lot of the retail companies retail. that are here, like L Brands and they like fly people back and forth to New York city, like every week, like they might just say, there's so much waste. I have a bunch of friends that worked for them and I I saw their charter and I just, as someone who had to pay all the bills for a business, I, it just, it gave me like a heart attack on how much waste there was on, you know, a plane going back and forth multiple times with two or three, five people on it. I was just like, Oh my God, you're bleeding money. Well, the big thing that I saw was I saw on Twitter, a juxtaposition of a $2 million home in San Francisco in the Bay area and a $2 million home in Columbus. Yeah. The value. Oh yeah. And the one was like a little, you know, two bedroom shack in some bad neighborhood in San Francisco. And then the one in Columbus was right up on Hoover reservoir, had like 10 bedrooms. It was gigantic, 30 acres of land. That's so disproportionate and ridiculous that do you really want to spend that much money to live in the Bay area in a little shack? It's just, it seems crazy to me. That's yeah. why I tell people I live in a $2 million home because somewhere it might be worth close to $2 million. <laughs> yeah, my condo would be real really expensive not, not here. <laughs> with, the, with the right career, like you have just as much opportunity to make the same amount of money here as you do in San Francisco. So, you know, I, I know they always say like the cost of living is more, but not if you're making, not if you're in the right career and doing well for yourself. Like right. I think Columbus is a great place to live. I mean, we have a lot of great schools here, a lot of retail, nightlife, restaurants, Columbus is a great city, and I think it's only going to get better after this. Like you said, more people will be moving to places like Columbus and and out of San Francisco and New York and mm-hmm. some of those other areas. And it's all about providing value too. You know, people think you need to go somewhere to make yourself make it. If you're actually providing the value that you think you are, the thing that you're trying to do. If you're if you're creating value, people are going to work with you. It doesn't matter where you are. You could live 
wherever, you know, but it's all about as long as your uh, skills and stuff line up with something someone needs, you can, you can kind of dictate that. But like you're saying, yeah, that the, the disproportion and cost of living, I think it's going to drive a lot of people out. Obviously you're paying for it. It's like living on the beach, you know, right. People are going to pay because of the proximity, but I think there's a lot of people that are going to look at that value and think, man, I can, my dollar goes a lot farther here. Well, what's funny about that is it's kind of like a, uh, you know, as soon as those people start coming, cost of living here is going to go up. Exactly. And it has, (laughs) it has a ton recently. Right. And like having my finger on the pulse of Columbus, like parking and cost of living, every, that's all, everybody complains about gentrification and parking and whatever, you know, depending on what side you are. But if you want, you, you can't progress as a city and have parking lots everywhere. You know what I mean? And you can't have both sides of it. You know, I was telling them, go live. You could drive 15 minutes and have a house and a three-car garage if you want to do that. But you can't live downtown and have a garage. Imagine doing that in New York City, being like, oh, I want to live in Manhattan, but I need parking. Right. So, yeah. Or I want to live there for cheap. It's like you get once, once you, your city starts coming up, you're going to have to pay. Mm-hmm. 100%. But- well, we've kind of gotten uh, sidetracked here and we'll kind of bring it back for a second. So as you guys are looking out ahead, looking ahead, you know, right now, obviously there's a lot going on, but looking ahead, where do you see Sean scene real estate going? Kind of what are you, what are your goals? What's on the horizon for your team? Well, it'll be interesting to see like what some of the cities um, start to understand when it comes to like office and retail. Cause a lot of the cities, all they want is like office because they get the income tax, but that market is not the same as it was 10 years ago. And so maybe in a way it'll help us because we'll be able to get more developments approved and off the ground. Like sometimes it'll take a year or two years just to get all of our approvals before we put a shovel on the ground. So right now um, we have, uh, like you said earlier, about 1,300 units in construction in Columbus, Central Ohio, um, in like the Dublin Jerome area. And then also in Delaware County, um, in Powell, Orange, Liberty Township. We really like that area. Um, we think it's kind of the growth corridor of, of Central Ohio, Northwest. And um, we're just doing different products. Our, like our future, we think empty nesters are the next uh, wave of renters. So we're even doing single family detached rentals uh, where somebody can have their own home. But for rent, uh, with a two-car garage, it's still really nice because when they're selling their home, they still want to have a feel of living in a single-family home. They just want to rent instead of own. So we're doing more products for them. We're building in Florida. Uh, we have a couple of products down there, and we've built in other areas like Kentucky and Indiana. But I think down the road, we'd like to look in other other markets. But right now, we're really busy in Columbus, so we're kind of focusing on on Central Ohio. Any other advice for our listeners out there that young professionals, aspiring entrepreneurs, even some business owners? I think the the best advice is like, I know it's kind of cliche, but just like never to give up. Um, you know, I, I know now's a really tough time. You might've lost your job or you, you might be going through something with coronavirus. And, you know, we, we've had developments and, and stuff that have, that have looked like they're about to fail and there's, they're on life support, but you just think about a different way to get something done and, and never give up and, and keep fighting to get to where you need to go. Um, you know, if you're looking for a job, just try to be creative. You know, don't just send your resume to somebody, figure out a way to actually meet the person or, or does somebody know that person that you're trying to get the job and maybe do something else besides send a resume and like call or put a picture or video or just something that you can stand out, try to be creative and, uh, Definitely when you're looking for a job, choose something that you're passionate about more than something that you're going to just make money in because passion is everything. It's like the most fulfilling thing to have a job that you actually enjoy. You're not just there counting the clock and you wake up and you can't wait to work. And 
think that's very important too. If you can find something that you enjoy doing. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, uh, before we kind of proceed to the last question of the show, Tim, Josh, you guys got anything else? No, I, I love what you just said. I think that's great advice for anybody that's looking for a job or that feels kind of left out right now or unsure. Show that again, what you said about adding value. I know if you approach a job as not what am I going to get from this job, but telling them how you're going to make that person that's hiring you life easier, they, that is exactly what they're looking for. If you come to them with, I need this job or I want this job. If you come to them with some sort of, here's my idea and it just, I can save you time or money. Anybody that comes to me and tells me they can save me time or money, I'm going to listen to you no matter how crazy you sound or what you're, you know, and so coming with that approach versus, you know, I need a paycheck. It's, that's going to change that drastically change. I think that was great advice. That's all. I just wanted to add to that a little bit. Absolutely. Really, really solid advice. And Brian, it's a good place to talk about our last question of the show. It is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we picked that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? So I think uh, living uncomfortably is, is kind of uh, appropriate for, for the time now with everything that's going on. And we really don't know what the future is going to bring uh, everybody's living uncomfortably. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to keep all of our employees on. We didn't lay anybody off, which was really great. I think they respected that, but we still wake up every day, you know, uncomfortable, like what is tomorrow going to bring? Cause we don't, we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we really don't know what it looks like. So trying to plan for the future is kind of an uncomfortable thing when you don't really know what it's going to be. You have to just try to guess and, and do your best job at, planning and, and being creative and getting out ahead of it um, because you really want to be uh, stronger than ever before when we do see the light at the end. 100%, Brian. And I think it really ties well in with your advice. You know, it's never give up. Always just, you know, that most important step is always the next one. But uh, it's a great answer and, and really appreciate you joining us on the show, sharing your story. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate being on and really enjoy talking with everybody. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Brian Schottenstein. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.